All right, so while we get started, would you mind opening your Bibles to Matthew 7, chapter 1 through 6? We're just going to be continuing our, our series in the book of Matthew. And just as a, just as a quick recap, we're going to be talking about uh, what we have been talking about. What Gary preached on last week was a message on worry. If you haven't heard it, you weren't here last week, or you didn't get a chance to listen to it, I highly recommend it. Man, like, I, I just remember sitting in the sound booth doing some things because Things were going a little haywire last week, and the Lord just convicted me, if I could be honest with you, friends. The Lord was just like impressing on my heart, like, hey, you need to be pressing into me. You need to be pressing into the Lord. There is no room for worry in the Christian life. If we trust in an all-sovereign, all-powerful, all-magnificent God, why should there be worry in our hearts? Man, he was so encouraging to me. And so this week, we're going to be talking about uh, judgmental, being judgmental. How, how does that affect the Christian view? Should Christians be judgmental? Are there certain circumstances that we, we should and can? Or is it totally something that we need to get rid of in our own hearts? And unfortunately, I mean, when talking to non-believers or just seeing how we're depicted in the media as Christians... That's often the label attributed to us, isn't it not? It's saying, oh yeah, what, what do you think about those Christians? Oh, they're just judgmental churchgoers. Those evangelicals vote just a certain way. It's just a political platform or whatever it might be. And they attribute us to being judgmental. Like, how are we depicted in media, in movies and TV shows? It's the person sitting back in the corner, just shaking their head at everything that's going wrong. That's not in their cookie cutter box. And, that, and that's not how we are, is it not? At least it should not be. So before we dive into this passage together, let's just go into prayer and uh, we can open up the word together. Heavenly Father, I just pray that as we move into this next time of worship, would you just open our hearts, open our eyes to what you have to say. Lord, what, what, what do you say about these things, these, these difficult subject matter that that we're going to be discussing today. Lord, would you convict us where we need to be convicted and would you encourage us where we need to be encouraged, Lord? Because that's exactly and precisely what your word does to our hearts. It cuts out what, the things that, we, that shouldn't be there and also encourages, encourages us and equips us to do the work of you and, to, and experience your love and your grace. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. All right, let's just start off. Matthew 7, verse 1, and let's just start, start reading. And it says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Some pretty heavy stuff, is it not? (laughs) My word. And so while studying this passage this week, I, I would just 
I just felt like this message can be really for three different people. And we're going to be kind of looking at how this affects each one of these people. First being the judgmental, the judgmental person. The second being the good intention person. Hey, we might have some good reasons to think why we do what we do. But yet it's just coming across very wrongly in a very ungodly way. And the third person is the sinking person. See, I mean, this, this person isn't explicitly stated in the text, but they're often affected by it, are they not? It's either they're, they're sinking or they're, they put this weight on them because we are being judgmental towards them, or we understand that they're sinking in their sin, and so we want, we want to naturally help them up. We want to help them, build them up in the Lord. And so while studying this, let's just look at the first person, the, the judgmental person, really quickly. While studying this, I, I, I found it helpful for what Paul had to say in Romans, in Romans 2. It says, you therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. No, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? And so what I think, when I look at these passages and when we study these out, I think it's helpful that Paul gives us this insight into a judgmental person's heart. A judgmental person is often a legalistic person. And it's, and it's interesting, when, when you look at the definition of legalism, it literally means, from, at least from the Oxford de, uh, Dictionary's point of view, it means the excessive adherence to a law or a formula. Meaning that legalism is, is something that we add more onto the gospel in order to be saved. What's extra biblical? I mean, we see this with the Pharisees before Jesus, right before Jesus starts to show up on the scene, the Pharisees enacted these laws called hedge laws. And what these were was, these were laws that were built around the law, so you can't even get close to breaking the actual original God's law, God's word. For instance, I think this is hilarious, that on the Sabbath, you couldn't actually move a chair. You couldn't drag a chair across your dining room floor because you might have to... uh, it might plow a uh, pile of dust. And you can't work on the Sabbath, God forbid, right? It's like, ah, I don't think that's what that means. Thanks, Pharisees. You couldn't even move a chair. Like, imagine the weight that is placed on the Jewish people of the time. And see, so when we look at legalism, it's often married to judgmental, being judgmental. And, and although a legalistic person might say like, oh yeah, you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, but their actions obviously don't pertain to this. Dallas Theological Seminary, I mean, I think Brian mentioned this before in previous messages, but they, they said that like, hey, we were making really good academics, but we were making really bad Christ followers. And I, th- and I think this is, this is something that we must be weary of. 
are, are we slipping into a mode of legalism where we say, a Christian must do X, Y, and Z. They must look like this. And if they don't have these things present in their lives, then they're simply not a believer, which is crazy to me. Because that's, that's actually the exact opposite of what the gospel is, right? It's the exact opposite. Because th- there's literally no way you or I could uphold this law, these, all these laws and, and every command of Jesus Christ perfectly. I mean, for heaven's sake, like we probably made multiple sins this past week getting angry at some guy cutting us off or, or some store clerk might have been a little frustrating to work with. The kids were being hard to deal with. I don't know. I don't know your sins. And you don't have to tell me right now. But I want you to turn to your neighbor and, and, tell, and just confess a sin. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> My friends, we cannot be saved by our own merit. And so, when we look at this legalistic person, if, if, if we are legalistic, then we often make God out to be legalistic. If, if we're being judgmental, we often believe that God is a God of judgment. It, Let's look at it like this. Like if, if, you, if we break God's law, how do you think that would affect how God actually sees you? What he feels about you? What he thinks about you? Insight here, not good if you're a legalistic person. They've forgotten the very thing that saved them in the first place. It's, it's, it's by the grace of God through the means of the gospel that we are saved. They've forgotten that, that although they might say they believe it, their actions surely don't, uh, don't reflect what they truly believe, which is we are saved by grace alone and through faith alone and nothing else. So if you're sitting here right now and you're saying, Corbin, I don't know if I'm a legalistic person or not. Let's do the thought experiment. Can we do that together? Let's all close our eyes. I'll close our eyes. And think back to the last time you've committed a sin. And just think to yourself, how did you feel about God? And how did you think God felt about you in that moment? How do you think God feels about you when you fall short? So that's... uh, Whatever conclusion you came to, whether it's condemnation of saying, ah, man, I just, I need to try harder, or that it's, Lord, I know I messed up and I need to run continually back to the Father. I think it's helpful to, I preached on this a few months ago, but the, the parable of the prodigal son, right? I think that's such a good, clear indication of how, how we should be when, when we're caught in sin or, or when we're sinful, how did that father in the prodigal son's parable feel about his son? When his son sinned against him, was living in his sin, 
He wanted nothing but to run away from his father. And yet, how did the father still feel when he ran back to him? Was it in condemnation? What Did the father scold him? Did he say that, you, son, you did not measure up? No, there, there was this love and, and continual call back to the father. And friends, he knows that we can't uphold the law. He knows that we can't do it perfectly. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the whole point of why he sent his son, Jesus, to die for our sins. Is because he knew that we cannot obtain perfection if it's not through the blood of Christ, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And praise God that we're not saved by our works, amen? Praise God that it's not by our own, our own merit, our, not our own works, that we're saved. Because, friends, uh, newsflash for you, I'm a sinful dude. Don't amen to that, I, I will be offended. <laughs> Right, I mean, that's exactly what Romans 8.1 was saying. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a helpful verse. But with that being said, when, when we look at the passage in Matthew, that, that's the very reason why Jesus condemned the judgmental person. It says, do not judge or you too will be judged. The judgmental person, the legalistic person, destroys and perverts the message of the gospel. It distorts it where we see it as, yeah, maybe that's initially how God saves us, but that's not the full story. My friends, no. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. And so Jesus comes down he condemns the judgmental person, but some, some lights should be flashing in your heads if you've been reading the Bible. They're like, wait, I, th- I think other passages say that we're supposed to judge. We're actually supposed to confront sin. We're, we're, we are supposed to take on this, this task. We shouldn't let these sins just move away from us. That we should actually help these people in their sin point them to Christ and you're exactly right and I think Paul says says it best in Galatians 6 1 through 6 which says let's read together brothers and sisters if someone is caught in a sin you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently but watch yourselves or you may also be tempted carry each other's burdens and in the same way you will fulfill the law of Christ next one And if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Let's go back to that first verse. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person how? Gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Which brings us to talk about our second person. The good intention person. See, it it might look like there's a contradiction here. Jesus is saying, hey, you can't judge people. 
Don't judge them. And then Paul, in, in later writings, says, uh, yeah, no, we got, we got to take this on, right? And I think they're saying the same thing. It, it's just, it just takes a little work, so <laughs> let's dive in, shall we? Why would Paul say something like this? Well, he understands through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that sin robs you of a life that can be only made complete through godliness while we draw close to Christ. This is how we can make our life complete, through following Jesus. See, friends, when, when we follow Jesus, worries are dissolved, are they, are they not? Anxieties are calmed. Depression is lifted. Sorrows are mended. Addictions are broken. And broken relationships are reconciled. And man, I, and I guarantee you, if we've come to Christ, a lot of us have experienced these similar things, have we not? Things change when we get close to the heart of Christ. And so it's only natural when we, when we see a brother or sister in Christ just sinking deeply in their sin and say, brother, sister, I see this thing in your, in your life and, and I went through that same thing. Maybe they're struggling with alcohol or, or other addictions or, or, or they're just blowing up and their marriage is falling apart and you're just wanting so desperately to help them and, and take this thing away from them because you know that I've seen many people go down this road and it, and it doesn't lead to good things. And so it's only natural for us to, to have this heart, this desire to, to help take this away from them. And if you still don't believe me, I mean, like, this is what the Old Testament was for, right? I mean, example after example of God's people following and pursuing God, and they let sin sneak in and creep in, and, and then they're left to ruins, left to destruction, and then they turn back to God, and the cycle repeats until Christ shows up on the scene, and then something distinctly, something distinct changes. And so what I, really, what I really think that that Paul was saying in that passage is, yeah, we're called to judge sin, but with discernment. We need to judge sin with discernment. Because, man, how, how helpful is that passage in Galatians? Can we throw up that, that first verse again? See, when, when he says, brothers and sisters, if someone... In other translations, it has this flavor, I guess, of other believers. If someone or another believer is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. That, that is the key, gentleness. That when we see that speck in our brother or sister's eye, we have to understand that we have a massive log just sticking out of our foreheads, right? I love what John Piper said. I was listening to one of his sermons on this, and he said, people with planks in their eyes make very bad eye surgeons. <laughs> and I just get this picture of like, hey, brother, I see that speck in your eye. I would love to operate on that. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, you know? Sorry, I, that was way funnier in my head. Now I just look like an idiot. 
Oh, now my eye hurts because I slammed that into my eye. <laughs> we must understand that, that we, have, we have something lodged in our eye too. And oftentimes it's much larger than that little speck that we can point out in our brother or sister's eye. So we have to approach these situations with great, great genu- uh, gentleness. Because Paul, later in that passage, warns us that we too are susceptible to, that, to the very same sins that we might be pointing out in other people's lives. Like how humiliating would that be? It's like, hey brother, you should stop using some bad language and then you're caught cussing up a storm because somebody cut you off in traffic. It's like, that would be terrible. I would hate to be in that situation. So, but see, this is why we must stand and point back to the scripture. See, this, this is the true argument to stand on. Because then it, it turns it from you pointing a finger and you disapproving of someone's lifestyle or their choices and it, and, it gives, and it gives authority to the Bible. Growing up, uh, always sitting in, in, ser- in sermons of my dad. He's actually here right now. Uh, so if you hate this sermon, blame it on him because I learned everything from, from listening to his sermons. <laughs> For example, you know, hey, if, if you're offended by this message, uh, don't be offended. I, they're not my words, they're Jesus' words. I think that's so true. It's like, hey, we want, we want to give these arguments over to the Lord, saying, hey, brother, I, I, I love you, I, and I care about you, and I, and I see this thing that erupting in your life, so why don't we read this passage together and work through this? Let's stand together and work through these things. See, it, we're creating an, an invitation rather than a repellent of the gospel. We're inviting them into to seeing these things for themselves of what God says about these things. Which brings us to the last person that we'll talk about today. The sinking person. Man, I'm, I'm sure that we, we know people in our lives that are just destroying their lives with their sin, sinfulness. And, and I'd assume that if you know them, you, you would care about them as well. And so friends, this is why we have to just point them to the cross of Jesus. I mean, it's so simple. It's such a Sunday school answer, but it's true. Because left by our own means and our own arguments, we can't save people. We can't help them out of their sin. We can't transform their hearts because that's the role of the Holy Spirit. If, if we want to see people changed and transformed for Jesus, I mean, obviously we've got to start with prayer, right? Asking God to be working in their life because, my friends, we, we can't make this change. And we shouldn't be putting ourselves in the role of the Holy Spirit. We shouldn't place ourselves in a role in which the Holy Spirit can only operate in, that he can be the worker. For instance, like, before Gary got here and then Brian was gone, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I shouldn't have been placed in that role of like leading the church, you know? Praise God for Gary, amen? Don't amen to that. <laughs> My friends, let us start by working on this log, this plank that's stuck in our own eye 
Because my friends, we make really bad eye surgeons. It'd be foolish to, if you have a brain tumor, to go to just your buddy who watches some YouTube videos on brain surgery, right? You want to go to someone who knows what they're doing, who's equipped enough, who's in that role for a reason. And see, then, then I, can, I can actually stand next to my brother and hold his hand while he's willing to be operated on by the Holy Spirit. Carving out any piece of his life that, that doesn't look like Jesus. That's being ruined by his sin. While, while at the same time knowing that I'm next in line to remove this thing out of my eye. Because so my friends, we, we, we all have in a form, broken eyes. My friends, we've been blinded by sin. And the only one that can remove this blindness, as the scriptures say, these scales from our eyes, is Jesus Christ. It is Jesus. He is the only one who has, has the authority to do such a thing. Because friend, we know that that is Christ's heart. That is what he desires most. It's not to condemn. It's not to say that, yep, knew it. Always knew that you were a screw up. What an idiot this guy is, huh? It's not, that's not Jesus' heart at all. The things that are breaking your heart day in and day out are, are oftentimes the very things that's breaking God's heart day in and day out. See, friends, this, this is the reason why Jesus was so willing to go to the cross. So willing to give his life up. So that we have a way to have our sins removed, to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. To be able to go to the throne of God with confidence, as Hebrews says. So my friends, if, if, you, if you are feeling burdened by your sin, I mean, it's, it's as simple as saying, Lord, Lord, I, I turn away from these things, Lord. I don't want these sins in my life. Lord, I want to I leave everything in the world behind me. And Lord, I, Lord, I believe you. Jesus, I believe you in that you are the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-sufficient, all-sufficient God who, who's all-sovereign, who has the world in his hands, Lord, and I put my life in your control. I put my life in your hands. Lord, I want to live for you. Let's start working on our own logs, friends. So that we can better help other people fight these same battles that we're in now. My friends, let us not be a church. Let this church, Big Timber Evangelical Church, not be defined as people being judgmental. Let us prove the world wrong. Let us... Be a people that's so defined as being gracious and merciful and loving that when non-Christians that know who we are, who know the people that go to this church and they see what, how media depicts what a Christian is, they say, no, nah, that's not right. I know my buddy Rob and he's the best guy I know and he's a Christian. He goes to the church down the street. Let us be defined as these people that changes things for Jesus. Let's invite people into, into this life that's filled with joy, 
And a life that is, that is solely satisfied in who Christ is because our souls so long for the fulfillment of who Jesus is. My friends, he is the only thing that satisfies. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just, I just want to give this time to you, Lord. As we, as we walk through these doors and we go about our day-to-day life and these tasks that we're bombarded with, we're, when our calendars are full and, and people want our attention, Lord, let us not be so distracted. Let us be continually fixed on you. Lord, let us have a heart for the lost, the people that don't know you, the people that may be burdened by their sins, that may be destroying their life of sinfulness, but Lord, let us lead them to the gospel. Let us show, let us show them how to fall at the foot of the cross. Lord, to be able to accept your forgiveness and, and gain eternal life through you, Lord. Lord, and let us not be people that, that are judgmental or legalistic or add to the gospel, Lord. But let us live freely. Let us be satisfied and solely of who you are, Jesus. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.